one time when I came home from one of my projects and I just left my bags in the in the living room and my son and one of his friends were playing around. This is when he was probably eight or so. And his friend looked at my the business card on the tag on my bag and he, you know, it said Dr. Ron Harrison. He said, I didn't know your dad was a doctor. And my son said, well, he's a doctor, but he's not the kind that helps anybody. Welcome to a special edition of Seismic Sound Off. My name is Andrew Gary. In episode 28, we highlighted a Geoscientist Without Borders project in Java, Indonesia, led by Ron Harris. For this special episode, we created a richly produced and narrative-driven story that would capture Ron Harris's work in Java in his own words. This is not simply a story about tsunami preparedness, but the importance of preparedness in our everyday lives. Good evening. More than 11,000 people are now thought to have been killed in southern Asia after an undersea earthquake sent enormous waves rolling across the Indian Ocean. The quake measured... It was a very difficult day. I, my mother-in-law called me. She's like a news junkie. So she had heard about it on CNN and she called me and she said, all she said was just, Ron, it happened. It happened. 4,000 people are thought to have died. In Sri Lanka, officials say more than 3,000 people have been killed and more than a million affected. And then I was just horrified. You know, you go through all of the symptoms of, you know, of, of a tragedy or a shock. You know, first you're like standing around not knowing really what to do. And then you say to yourself, well, it can't be that bad or that kind of thing. And then you realize it's worse than you thought it was. And, and then you go through depression and that depression phase took months to get over mainly just because I had the horrific feeling that thousands of lives could have been saved if I just would have taken my own forecast more seriously. And the depression and the horror was about realizing that I hadn't. So, and with most of these big disasters that happen, you can go back and say, yeah, well, geoscientists more or less forecast this, but there was a gap between the forecast and the local knowledge. Who, this is my big question to everybody, who is tasked with filling that gap? I haven't been able to get a good answer to that question ever since I, I've been asking it. Who is tasked to fill in that gap? And if no one is, then we, then it's something we all have to do, no matter what our specialty is. I did my PhD in Indonesia because I was, I was interested in active tectonics. Most of the time when you would look at reconstructions of a mountain belt, like the Rockies or like the Andes or the Himalaya, you know, most of the reconstructions would take you to Indonesia and say, look, you can go here and see what things were like in the past. You can trade space for time. You can, you can fly to Indonesia. It's like going back to the Cretaceous of Western North America. And then as I 
did this and I learned the language and I, I, you know, you have to live with the local people when you're out there in the middle of nowhere and you see that they have basic needs that aren't being satisfied. And I didn't want to just give them money, but I, I knew that I could give them, I could give them knowledge about their surroundings that could help them to prevent natural disasters. And that's why I decided to do the Fulbright Fellowship. And as soon as I started that, I realized that I was connected to something so much larger than I had realized, so much larger than, than I could even imagine when I started going through the historical records and seeing how many times that country had been battered by huge earthquakes and huge tsunamis and incredibly large explosive eruptions like Krakatoa and Tambora and all this stuff. Millions of people killed and really very little had been done on this, exposing just how dangerous a place Indonesia was. So I thought, wow, this is this was my calling in life. You know, sometimes you find it, sometimes you don't. And I found it at an early age, and I'm grateful. And we'd go into villages where they had actually tsunami evacuation signs. We'd ask them, so what does that sign say to you? And they say, well, when the government tells us to evacuate, we'll follow those signs and go where they point. And that's just not going to happen. There's no way that that's going to be a reality. With the soft solution not being in place, the soft solution is kind of what we're working on, going to the people who are actually going to have to deal with the tsunami and, and empowering them to recognize that they are at, at risk you know, the ground shakes for more than 20 seconds, then they need to take it seriously and say, well, there might be a tsunami coming. So we have 20 minutes to get out of the way. And getting out of the way means we have to go at least to 20 meters elevation. So we started this 20-20-20 campaign. Once we taught them that the earth had to shake and not intensely shake, but just shake, for at least 20 seconds for them to really have to, to worry about anything. They e emailed us and said, we had an earthquake, it only shook for seven seconds. And we could relax. For the first time since 2004, we could relax and know that we were fine. And we also knew what to do to check to make sure that we were fine. And they, and they thanked us for reducing fear in their community which again, wasn't one of our objectives, but it happened to be an outcome. When you're a geoscientist and you work on things like this, you have to do the full, complete project. You can't just cut short the process through, well, I've done my part and I'll leave it to someone else to do the most important part, and that is the communication to the people in harm's way. And so that's what prompted me to kind of deal with the guilt by starting a nonprofit with that same name for the very purpose of trying to accomplish what I felt was lacking during that 2004 event. A lot of people worry that spending money up front 
for being proactive about disaster mitigation uh, might be a waste of time and money. Because what if the event doesn't happen for another 50 years or so? And that could easily be the case. But from what I've experienced, just the process of doing this work builds a community's resilience to not only the tsunami or the volcano or the earthquake hazard, but it builds a community's resilience to any kind of threat or any kind of emergency because they're involved in something that brings them together and they're doing something with the hope that it will make a difference in in the future and any kind of activity that is focused on something like that enriches and builds and has positive impacts on people. Preparedness is, is a very, very important part of developing an awareness of what life is about. This disaster mitigation effort has far-reaching payoffs that even though there, there won't be maybe a direct impact in some of these places for years, and the people that we've talked to and visited are long gone and so are we, that effort to get involved with this will still be echoing through these areas. The time when they came together to try to become a more resilient community is gonna have payoffs. programs like Geoscientists Without Borders, geoscientists around the world give back with their knowledge, expertise, and perspective. Help us spread the word of GWB and share this episode with your best friend and closest colleague. You can find a link to share with them at seg.org forward slash podcast. A special thank you to the students at Duke University's Center for Documentary Studies. This episode was edited and produced by me, Andrew Gary. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.